Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Romans chapter 2. And uh, man, if you missed last Sunday, it was really good word for us. Really good word. We've, we're learning this, right? And Paul's going to go over this and over this and over this. It's not enough to know the Bible, everybody. It's not enough to know the Bible. We gotta, if you'd asked me, I'll tell you this. If you'd asked me 15 years ago, you know, when you go up to preach, what's your goal? I would have told you this. It's to teach the Bible. That's what I would have said. And I took great pride in that. And I felt really self-righteous about that. My goal is no longer to teach the Bible. That is not my goal. My goal is, and we talk about this, Amos and I talk about this, the goal is life transformation. Because if our lives aren't changing, man, we miss something. And uh, so uh, I think you, you heard a good word on that last week. It's not enough to know it. If it doesn't come out of us, it's not enough to know it. So we're in Romans chapter 2, and uh, if you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. And if you're new here, I, I'll just tell you this. We don't, we don't stand for every single time, you know, all morning long. But we do stand when we read our primary text. And the simple reason is it's not right or wrong. If you go to church, it doesn't. They're not wrong. We do it around here because it's a great opportunity for us to remind ourselves. This isn't just a, a book put together by some fellas. This is God. And I believe with all my heart, I believe God has a word for you today. I believe God has a word for me. I believe God has a word for us as a church. And he's going to speak it. And then we're going to dig into it. So this is Romans chapter 2, and I'm starting in verse 17. It says this, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, and you're a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Let's pray. And as we pray this morning, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you just in, in your own heart right now, in your own mind. You invite God to speak to you this morning. Whatever that means, you just begin to pray right now. And in your own heart, you just ask God to speak to you. So God, this morning we've gathered to, to give uh, praise and worship to you. Your word tells us that you inhabit the praise of your people. We know that you're here, Holy Spirit. We know that you're here. And uh, God, I believe, I believe you have a word for me. You have a word for every individual. You have a word for our church this morning. And so we say, God, speak it in a way that's going to be meaningful to us, to each one of us individually, God. What would you have for us? And uh, we're anxious to hear. Reveal yourself to us this morning, Father. Reveal your heart to us this morning, God. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, some of you will be familiar with The Hill. It's a website. Some of you are familiar. Some of you are not. The Hill is a website uh, that, that is it's read by everybody on Capitol Hill, lawmakers, policymakers. It's one of the most significant websites for that. And I saw a headline not too long ago, and the headline was this. Church going and belief in God stands at historic lows despite megachurch surge. In other words, oh, we hear about all these megachurches. We hear about all these giant churches. We hear about that. But actually, overall church attendance is down. That was the headline. And then the article went on, and there were just a couple different things that caught my eye. Church membership, church attendance, belief in God, all declined during the pandemic years, survey data suggests, accelerating decades-long trends 
away from organized worship. Article in the Hill. Another phrase that it said was, in-person church attendance plummeted by 45% during the pandemic. I think we know that, according to an ABC News analysis. Most churches have reopened, but not all congregants have returned. People who formerly went to church, they're not back. Further, the article said at least one-fifth of Americans today embrace no religion at all. Now, we're going to talk about this. We're going to address it. But, but man, when you're the pastor of a church, and skip the fact that I'm a pastor of a church, when you're a follower of Jesus, when you're just a follower of Jesus, like, there should be some concern. You should be going all of a sudden like, oh, snap, like, what's going on here? And in my head, what I just asked, and the way I ask it is, what's the problem? What's going on? What's causing this? What's the problem? And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what's the biggest problem facing the church today. Because I think we're already, oh, it's politics. Oh, it's the racial division. Oh, it's, it's the pandemic. It's the schools. And, it's the, and we got all kinds of ideas. But Paul's word is going to talk to us about it today. And we're going to see about it today. So I'm asking followers of Jesus, take this home. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. First of all, can I just applaud you for your courage to walk in and go to an actual church service? And you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I love the fact that you're here. I actually hope you'll come back. But you may be here today, and you may, you may just sit and agree, and you'll be a good litmus test because you may go, mm, mm. That's a problem. That's a problem. But followers of Jesus Church, we got we to listen. We got to hear. Now, for the passage that we're looking at, I got to get you to a certain place. So I want you to know kind of how this is going to happen today. I want you to understand what's going on. And so the easiest question I have just to start this is, raise your hand if you played hockey. Raise your hand if you ever played hockey. You might be like me. I didn't play organized hockey, but we played at the parks. Uh, we play evenings and weekends. And we'd have a friend who has a rink in their backyard. If, you, if you're not, raise your hand if you're at least a hockey fan. You're at least a hockey fan. Yeah, sure. Lots of hockey fans. All right. And so... Let me give you the paradigm and, and what you're going to see coming today. Uh, if you didn't play hockey, you need to know this. <laughs> now, there's this really interesting dynamic that happens in hockey, a really interesting dynamic. And usually what happens in hockey is, right, the, the goal is to put the, the puck in the net. And so guys are skating around, skating around. Now, there are different positions in hockey, so not everybody's the same. And you have your center and you have your wings, and they're usually a little faster skaters, and they're maybe more skilled with a puck, and they're maybe more skilled shooters, right? And then you have your defensemen, and they're bigger guys. And some of, the, some of the defensemen are kind of the enforcers in the league. And they're going to make th- sure that things happen correctly on the ice. And so what will happen is this. Let's just say I'm the really fancy skater. Let's just go there for a while. I'm the really good skater and I'm fast and I'm fast and I'm fast and I can skate and I can score and I, my, my stick is, is excellent, right? And, and I'm skating it out. And every once in a while, a defenseman is going to do that, right? I'm going to take a shot from a defenseman. Sometimes it's just a good, honest hit. And sometimes it's, it, it's a hit clearly to send a message. Okay, now I got defensemen on my team. I got some bigger bruisers on my team. And my defensemen, my bigger bruisers are not going to stand for that. And so they're going to go deal with that dude. Somewhere on the ice, they're going to find time during the game. They're going to deal with that dude. But sometimes they don't get a chance to deal with that guy during the game. And so when that's the case, everybody knows it was a dirty shot on me. Everybody knows that. My defensemen are not happy, but they didn't get a chance during that game. So here's actually what happens. Game is over. Game is over. Everybody heads to their locker rooms. They shower. One team drives home. Another team goes on a bus, and they go to the airport, and they're out of town. And they got other games, and they play other games, and life is just kind of going on. And now these two teams are supposed to play each other again. And so guess what they do? Well, one team, they just drive their cars to the arena. 
One team flies into town, and they all get to the arena, and now they get dressed, and they put on pads, and they put on skates, and they get their sticks ready. Maybe they retape their sticks. And now they finally hit the ice, and everybody's going through warm-ups, and everybody's happy, and it's all good. And they're skating, and they're getting warmed up, and they're getting ready for the game. And now warm-ups are all done, and everybody kind of goes to their bench, and they're going to do introductions, and they introduce players, and everybody cheers, and this is the home team, and this is everybody boos because this is the visiting team, and, and, and everything's just like normal. It's just like normal. And then everybody gets lined up because they're going to drop the puck at center ice. And so everybody's at their place on the ice and, and the guys get to the middle and they're, they're like this and they're ready and they're ready. And the official drops the puck and nobody moves. Nobody moves. It, some of you have seen this and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And everybody just stands up. And over here, these two dudes drop gloves and they're ready to go. The game hasn't even started. The clock hasn't even started. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And these two dudes are going to settle it right now and it's going to be over. And here's something that's really important that you need to understand in this picture. This is one of the most important things I want you to see. They drop gloves. And the reason that they drop gloves is because this dude is going to try to make a point to this dude. And he wants him to feel the full impact and the full force of his point. And what this dude is saying to this dude, and I, I've sat next to the ice and I can hear him. This dude is saying, I love you, pumpkin. But that behavior cannot continue. Everybody say this with me. I love you, pumpkin. But this can't continue. Say it again. I love you, pumpkin. This cannot continue. That's what this dude is saying to this dude. We're going to play your behavior. When you clocked our dude, that cannot happen anymore. That's where we're going to end up today. That's where the Apostle Paul is going to end up today. And I want you to see exactly how it happens. So here's what we've gotten so far in the book of Romans. Paul, in chapter 1, Paul introduces himself. I'm the Apostle Paul. And Paul lauds them. Paul lauds them. And he says, oh, man, I've heard so much about this church in Rome. Now, remember this. Paul's not even, he's never been to Rome. And he'll never get there for about another three years. Paul's never been to this church. But he says, I've heard about you folks. And, and, and I've heard about the way you live. And you live out the gospel. And it is amazing. And I commend you guys for it. And then Paul tells them the good news. The good news was this. You and I are sinners. And we can be made right simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not by what we do. We can be made right. And then he goes on to tell them about God's anger at sin. In other words, this is why the good news is good, everybody. And he's been talking to him and he's been talking to him and he's been talking to the church at Rome and the church at Rome are Gentiles, which means a non-Jew and Jew, the Jew and Gentile. They're all in the church and Paul's been talking to them all. And now Paul's tone starts to, it's just in his letter. It's just, it's just doing this. It's just amping up just a little. And so when he starts this, he says this, you who call yourselves Jews. Oh, Paul now gets very specific. He's not just talking to the church. He's specifically addressing the Jews in the church. Now, now remember Paul. This is really important. What was Paul? Paul was a Jew. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Jew of the Jews. 
Paul has been educated by the best educators. He's been brought up. And Paul was a radical Jew. Paul wanted to kill all Christians. These Jesus followers, Paul didn't want to have anything to do with them. He wanted them obliterated. And then he had an encounter, just like some of you have, like I have. We had an encounter with the risen Christ. We had an encounter with Christ. Maybe not like Paul did, but you've encountered Christ. And Christ changed Paul. And now Paul is the biggest advocate. He's the biggest spokesman. He spent the rest of his life traveling all around the Mediterranean, sharing the gospel, planting churches. And now Paul is addressing them as you who call yourselves Jews. He's specifically speaking to Jews, and you're going to see why. He says, you who call yourselves Jews, you're relying on God's law. Now, I just always want to explain this. If you're newer to the church and you you read the Bible and you see the phrase law, the law, it's not the law like here's how fast you can drive or it's not, it's not that kind of law. It's not a legal system. It's the Jewish law. It's what we would call the Torah. Really, we say the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. And in there specifically is the law. The Jews came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But at the beginning of the wandering, Moses went to Mount Sinai. If you remember the movie, right? And God hands him the Ten Commandments on these tablets that's part of the law. The Ten Commandments are part, but there's much more. And he's saying, you Jews, because you think, oh, God gave us the law. You're relying on God's law. In other words, you're relying on the law. And here's what the Jews are thinking. We're going we're gonna to go to heaven no matter what. We, we have salvation no matter what. They were relying on the law that because you are God's people who have the law and you even boast about your special relationship with God. Well, we're God's chosen people, and they are. We're God's chosen people. And they would boast about it. And he goes on and he says, you know, you know in your head, you know what he wants. And he reemphasizes it. And you know what is right. Why? Because you've been taught the law. Because you have the law. Because you have the Torah. All of this is true. And he says, you're convinced. They're so sure that you're a guide for the blind. Not, not just that you know it. Oh, we're actually the guides. We're the ones who should be showing others. And you are even a light for people. Like, oh, we, we're going to shine the light here. We're going to show, we're going to reveal all this to people who are lost in darkness. He goes on, he says, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. You are certain. This is how the Jews were. They were so sure, so certain because they had the Jewish law. You're so certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Ready? And then he says this. Oh, well then. Now, don't you know something's coming? Like, this is how you are, this is how you are, this is how you are, this is how you are. Well then, so he says this, well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? The implication is, you know it, you talk about it, you tell others, you're not doing it. You're knowing it and saying it. You're not doing it. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? What he's really saying is, you tell others not to steal, you are stealing. He goes on to the next verse and he says, you tell others not to commit adultery. Aren't you committing adultery? You tell others not to worship idols. Aren't you worshiping idols? Paul is is making these accusations against them. And then he says, you're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. You know it, but you don't do it. Right. And then he says this. No wonder the scriptures say. uh, Now notice this. Paul doesn't say, "No, no wonder, no wonder I'm saying this. No, no, he backs this with the authority of the scripture. He's serious here. Now, just just so we're real clear, just so you all know where we're at. We've all entered the arena. And we've all been through warm-ups. And we're all feeling pretty good. 
and now they're at center ice and we're all ready for puck drop. That's exactly where we're at right now. And here goes Paul. Are you ready for this? He's talking to the Jews. No one of the scriptures. Now he's going to quote from Isaiah 52. And they would all know this. Good Jews know this. They know their Torah. right? They, they, they know the prophets. They, they, they know these things. No one of the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. You know where you're at now? That's where we're at. Because he just dropped gloves. Paul just dropped the glove, and he's saying to them, I love you, pumpkins, but, but this has got to change. Now, there's a really important principle, and, I, and I've said this. My goal is not to teach the Bible. My goal is life transformation. And if life transformation is going to happen, then there's a principle that you and I need to understand. We always need to remember this when we read the Bible. Not all Scripture was written to us, but all Scripture was written for us. Not all Scripture was written to us. This wasn't written to us. We're not first century. We're not in the church in Rome. It wasn't specifically written to us, but I'm telling you this. It was written for us. This word that we just read is written for us. So here's what I want to say. I, I love us, pumpkins. But this has got to change. It can't stay the same. And we talk about the problem in the church. Like, we have to make some change. The church, and if you're here and you're not a church person, you don't go, you, you might raise your hand and say, yes, I, I agree. Now listen, some of the greatest things that are happening in the world today are, are because of the church. But we also need to understand this, that the biggest problem the church faces today very well might be the church. It might be. It just might be the church. I don't believe it's politics. I believe it's the way the church handled politics. I don't believe it's necessarily race. I believe it's the way the church has handled race. I believe it's the way the church is handling a lot of things. And I think here's the beauty of it. This is a killer. This is, this is not a day of condemnation. This is not a day to chew everybody out. This is not that at all. This is a day to encourage the church and say, we can be better. We can do this better. We can be a more effective church. Did you know this? Did you know this that since, since the last three years have gone on, and, and we all go, oh, man, the things are terrible in the church. Things are terrible in the church. Did you notice Barna is one of the largest research uh, polling organizations in the world, and they're fantastic. Barna, everybody highly respects Barna organization. Barna says 75% of people today, it's actually 77, uh, believe in a higher power. They believe that there is a higher power. They would call it a God. They're just not sure who and what it is, right? 75% say they actually want to grow spiritually. Did you get that? 75% of our culture today wants to grow spiritually. And 50, this was amazing to me, Barna, according to Barna studies, 50% of the culture, 50% of the population today says that they're more open to God than they were right now than they were pre-pandemic. What does that tell you? It says this to me, church, we have this killer opportunity right now. We are in this place where we have this great opportunity where people are open to God, they're curious about God, they're spiritually aware, they're, they're wanting to know more, and we have an opportunity. So here's what we gotta do, we gotta get it right. And we've gotta look at some of the things that maybe, maybe we weren't doing so great at, right? So I just wanna give you some things to think about, in particular when we talk about what's the problem, what's the problem, what's the problem. Now, if you're one of those people who are here today and you're not a church person, but you come to church anyway and you're like, I'm curious, I'm checking out, I just want you to know when I show you the first one, I'm not ducking the issues. 
I'm not, I'm not ducking the issues, but I do want to talk about, because I think this is a real problem. I, I think this is part of the real problem. And that is that some folks just aren't Christians that say they're Christians. Some aren't. So I don't even know what Christian means anymore. The phrase is so watered down, I don't know what it means. When somebody, and maybe you're in the same boat, somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm like, really? I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what it means. Does it mean you're American? Does it mean, hey, I'm not Buddhist and I'm not Muslim and I'm not a Mormon, so I must be a Christian? Like, is that what it means? Because in the New Testament, they weren't called Christians. Not in the earliest of the New Testaments. They were called disciples. They were called followers of Jesus. So Christian, Christian, that's fine. Tell me you're a follower of Jesus. You are mimicking Jesus. You are imitating Jesus. You're trying to, to talk like, now let me just voice this out just because I think this is, this is uh, maybe this is helpful for you. Maybe it's not. You're not asked to be Jesus. You're not called to be Jesus. You're, you're not going to be Jesus. You know that I'm not going to be Jesus. I'm probably never going to walk on water. Chances are. I'm probably not going to calm a giant storm, most likely. I'm probably not going to raise someone from the dead. We've not been asked to be, we always say, oh, you know, just be Jesus. You ain't going to be Jesus, neither am I. And we were never called to be Jesus according to the scriptures. We're to be the manifestation of Jesus. Z, you're supposed to look like Jesus in Z. Like when I encounter you, I'd go, that girl, she talked to me and she showed me compassion. Kind of reminded me of Jesus. But I'm not getting you confused, right? You're not called to be Jesus. You're called to be a manifestation, an expression of Jesus. And here's what I would say. Some folks are claiming to be Christians, and they're not. And they're not. And they'll do things, and they'll say things, and the church gets a bad name. So, so I'm not ducking the issues. I'm saying, I believe that's real. I believe that's part of the problem. Maybe the reason that they can't distinguish whether they are or not is because we're not very distinguished. Maybe it makes them hard. Well, I'm kind of like they are. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I think that's part of the problem. Here's another part. Well, and I, and I would say this. You know, the Apostle Paul is writing to probably a disciple of his, a man named Titus. And Titus probably came to know Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And Paul discipled him. And now uh, Titus is in Crete and he's leading a church. And Paul still mentors him. And Paul's going to write him a letter. And Paul is talking about this very issue. And Paul says to him in the book of Titus, some people or such people, either way, such people or in, you know, just in general in the population, some people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Oh, sure, they claim it. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But come on, come on. Where's the fruit? There's no fruit. So that happens. I don't think we should be shocked at that. I mean, that clearly happens, right? So we talk about it. We say, hey, some folks aren't. That's part of the problem. And some are still very immature. Some followers of Jesus are still very immature. Now, here's the deal. Some of you have recently come to Christ. And it's okay to say, hey, I'm young in Christ. I just, I just haven't matured yet. Like, that's just real. Absolutely. Okay, all the more reason why we think you need to be involved in the discipleship process. Around here, discipleship process for us looks like if you're thinking about Jesus, if you're curious about Jesus, if you've just come to Jesus, maybe you've even, you know, just started a little bit. We tell everybody, go to Alpha. You should go to Alpha. Now, Alpha for this season is closed, but it'll open up again on April, April 15th. April 15th, the word of Jonas. April 15th. So you, you should definitely be looking forward to that. You should jump into an Alpha class right? That, that's the beginning of discipleship. It's also the reason that we want you to be in life groups. Why? Because discipleship happens in relationship. That's the most effective. People say, what's the, what's the way to make disciples? Well, there's a lot of way to make disciples, but it's primarily done in relationship, 
right? Because only in relationship can people really speak into your life. Because if you don't know me and you come and speak into my life and it's kind of a hard word for me, I'm like, you don't know me. I really don't want to hear what you have to say. I mean, aren't we just kind of like that? But in a life group, you build relationships. And now a brother or sister comes and they speak to you and you're like, oh, they know me pretty well. And I know they care about me. Okay, okay. And we receive the word, right? So some people are immature because they've just come to Christ. That, that's fair. Here's the bigger problem, everybody. We have three-year-olds, right, who, 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 who don't, don't ever grow up. We have three-year-olds who have been Christians for 40 years. And that's an issue. And I will tell you this. The reason that that's happened is because the slant of the evangelical church, if, you, if evangelical, if you're new and evangelical has taken on a nasty tone for you, here's what it really means to be an evangelical. We believe there's one God. We believe in the authority of the scripture. We believe that salvation is only by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And we believe that apart from Christ, right, people go to hell. Like, this is what it means to be an evangelical. It, it doesn't really mean you're of a political party, of a certain political party. Like, that's not what it means. And so uh, in, the, in the evangelical church, it became all about just getting folks to raise their hand and accept Jesus. And we, got, we forgot totally about the discipleship piece. We're just like, well, as long as folks are raising their hand, it looks good. I'm like, that was not the Great Commission. The Great Commission of the Scripture is make, oh, interesting, make disciples, really. It doesn't say make converts. And so consequently, we have a lot of people who've been, they've been a Christian for 40 years and, and they're still spiritually a three-year-old, right? Like that happens. And if that's you, it's, it's listen, this is not shame. This is just like, let's acknowledge it. Let's, let's realize what's happened. And you know what you should do? Maybe you go to Alpha. And you know what you do? Maybe you go get yourself in a life group. And we start growing up because we have a stinking mission. We're not a social club. We're not just like, how many folks can we get together on a Sunday morning? That's not what this is about. This is about expanding the kingdom of God. That's what this is about. And so we need to get people, yes, who, who, who accept Jesus, but then live like Jesus. And that, that only happens with real discipleship, right? We saw this in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews said, someone who lives on milk is still an infant. And they don't know how to do what is right. Three-year-olds don't know. I mean, we saw these little ones up here. It's funny. Well, they don't know yet because they're infants. But then he goes on and he says, solid food is for those who are mature and who go through training. This word in the Greek language means this, actual physical exercise. It's actually doing it. It's not as opposed to just knowing it, right? It means they do it. They live it. And they have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong, right? That's what it means to mature. That's what it means to mature. We live it. We begin to live it. I think that's part of the problem. I think part of the problem is that some people who claim to be Christians, they really aren't. I think part of the problem is some of us are still immature. And I think part of the problem is that sometimes this is going to be a shocker. Sometimes Christians just mess up. Sometimes Christians mess up. I thought somebody was going to say amen. Sometimes Christians mess up. Yes! Hey! Like, I just know this. I've said things from this platform that have been hurtful to some of you. It wasn't intended. Doesn't make it all right. But we mess up. Sometimes I know I'm messing up, and I do it anyway. And some of you are the same way. That Christians mess up. 
Like this, this happens and we're going to mess up again. We're probably right. The, the question is not if, it's a matter of when, what do we do? Now, it is really interesting to me, this, and, and I think we have to be honest in, in, in this vein of hypocrisy. When others mess up, we blame their character. When we mess up, we blame circumstances. Well, what happened was, uh, what, what, don't we? Well, you don't, I mean, this, okay, I, I know what you're saying, Neil, but the, you, you didn't see that. We, we blame circumstances. And so this is one of my favorite verses because we have this big hang-up with, with apologizing. It's such a difficult thing for us, right? We're going to mess up. This is, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. First John, it says this, if we confess, that's it. You can just stop. If we confess. It's not if we grovel. It's not if we hang our heads. It's, it's not if we just avoid people for a while. If we just confess. If we confess our sins to God, that's the hymn. Then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. If we just confess, that's what we do. We go to God and we just confess. Confess means to be in agreement with, to agree with. Hey, God, I did this. I agree with you. That was sin. I'm sorry. It's acknowledging it. Okay, that works this way. Did you know how crazy it is that it works this way? Now, I'm really wired this way. Maybe some of you are wired this way too. And I've said this a million times. If somebody offends me, like, I'll hold on to it for a while, and that's not right, and I need to forgive. But I will tell you this, when people apologize, boop, I'm done. I'm moving on. Right? I'm just telling you the power of an apology. So let me just talk to you about a real apology, just real quick. It's kind of, this is how I see it, and I just put everything in an A, so we'll remember this. These are three good pieces to an apology. Number one, acknowledge it. I did this. I said this. Or I didn't do this and I said I would. Or I didn't do this and I should have. It's a full-on acknowledgement. Number two, it's admitting. It was wrong. I said this and that was so wrong. You, you tell someone that. You go to them. You say, I said this and, and I was totally wrong. I did this and I was totally wrong. And then you ask. And this is such an important piece. And we, and we oftentimes forget this. Will you forgive me? Do you forgive me? That's a position of humility. I'm telling you, when you do these three things, most people are like, all right then, yeah. And then your responsibility is get back to business. Don't hang your head, don't cower, get back to business. You apologize, you've acknowledged it. You've admitted that it was wrong. You've asked for forgiveness and they said yes. Get moving again, get moving. Can I tell you this, if you're the person who's messed up, if you're, that, if you're on that side of the equation right now, you're the one who said something wrong, did something wrong, didn't do something when you should have, you, you've messed it up. Can I just tell you this? Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but here's the beauty. He has unlimited grace for sinners. Like how beautiful is that? You can screw up and you apologize. God's got grace for that. God's got grace for that. Just make the apology and then move on, move on, right? Can I tell you this too about apologies? Because this is important to me. Real apologies don't have ifs or buts. No ifs, no buts. Well, hey, if you were offended by that, hey, if you were about, that's not an apology. That ain't an apology. When you start in like that, hey, if, I know I said this, and if that bothered you, nope, it's not an apology. No ifs and no buts. Well, I did this, but oops, stop. It's no longer an apology. It's not an apology. No ifs, no buts. If you're married, <laughs> write that down, right? <laughs> Not at our house. I'm saying for you people, for you people. Because you know how it is at our house. We're s- 
right? No ifs, no buts. That's not an apology. If you want to talk about it later, talk about it later. Not an apology. It doesn't count. And so I want to talk to you if you're on the other side of it. Because I really believe this with all my heart. I believe there are people who are here at church today and you're like, I don't even know why I walked into a church. I walked away from the church because I was hurt by the church. And whenever you tell me you were hurt by the church, and P.S., I love hearing these stories. I love hearing stories of why people left the church. And I want to hear those stories. I love hearing those. But whenever people tell me that they were hurt by the church, I know what that means. Because I know a brick didn't fall off the building and hit you in the head. I know that. It means you were hurt by a person. That's what that really means. And so let me just speak to you for just a minute, because you're here, because you showed up, because maybe, because you're curious, because you're thinking about it, right? Can I just, can I just encourage you? Can, can, can I just continue to, right? If you're on that side of the equation, first of all, kudos to you for showing up. Kudos for you to you for checking in online, man. That, that had just, it's got to be so hard. It's, it's a very courageous thing to do. But let me just encourage you to think about this, right? Don't let the sin of people keep you from the goodness of God. Because you're the only one who's suffering. God says, man, come on, come on, come on. Like, I'm ready for you. I'm ready. I've been waiting for you. I want to I wanna spend time with you. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. And you're staying away because people are idiots. Don't, don't, don't let it do that. And can I just speak, if you're, on the other, if you're on that same side of the equation, can I also just speak, and please hear this with all the care that I can muster up right? This is, this is meant out of love and care. But I want you to just consider this. If you left God because of people, your faith might have been in people and not God. You understand what I'm saying? Because God is God. People are always going to mess up. Listen, man, don't let the sin of people keep you from the goodness of God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do that. Come on back. Come on back. God loves you. This church loves you. So let me get you the big so what. And if you came today, man, and this is totally 100% free, but there's actually a bonus day. There are two big so what's. So cash it in. I don't know what good it is, but this is. Originally, the big so what was you're the Bible others are reading. And I think that's true. As a follower of Jesus, man, you're the Bible folks are reading. And they're making their views of God based on that. But if I'd have written it later in the week, because I have to turn this in always by Wednesday, if I'd have written it later in the week, I might have actually said it this way. You're the Jesus others are seeing. See, you carry the name Christian, Christ-like. You're the Jesus. Man, church, can I just encourage you? When we walk out of here today, man, we're going to walk out into a lost world, and they need a Savior, and they need a Savior. And you and I, we hold the Savior here. And so it's got to be reflected. When we walk out of here, it's got to be reflected. That's why I'm saying I think you should see these ads. They're on the Super Bowl tonight because they're really trying to just reflect this Jesus. We have so much work to do, and you all are doing so great, and the church is, is expanding the kingdom, but we have a lot more work to do, right? You guys are going to go to school next week. You're going to go to school, and some of your friends will know you're a Christian. They're going to hear about it. Oh, they say they go to church. Now, what do they see? What are they seeing? And y'all are going to work. And people know, oh, I was at church the other day. And they're like, mm. I, don't, I don't know if you realize that. But as soon as you say that, people go, mm-hmm. like they're taking notes. They're taking notes. And now they're watching. 
It doesn't mean there's, there's all this pressure. It doesn't mean we can't ever screw up. It's how do we handle it? Do we apologize? And remember this, that we're always reflecting Christ. You know, they say, and I've heard some crazy number and maybe the number's all over the place, but it's like 19 hits or 23 hits. It, it takes 19 hits for people to come to Christ. 23, you know, exposures, right? What if you're number four? Are you okay with that? I mean, you may not be the one to close the deal, but what if you were the fourth hit and they just went again in their hearts, they went, that lady said she goes to church too. That guy says he's a Christian. I'm watching. I like what I see there, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul's words. Thank you that you spoke through him. Holy Spirit, thank you, Spirit, that you're speaking to us right now. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work of ministry that's being done by this church. I thank you for the impact that's being had not only in this community, but in their communities, those who don't live in this community, for the impact they're having with their neighbors, with their families, with classmates at school. God, I thank you that the word is going forward. And I thank you that they're proud to, to, to acknowledge I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I'm thanking you, God, for the lives that they're living. And God, sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes I don't get it right. Kimmy and I have talked about that. Sometimes we don't get it right. So God, help us to respond to that appropriately. Help us to have hearts that are ready to apologize. Help us to keep in mind, man, we're the Jesus people are seeing. We're the Bible folks are reading. It's us. It's us. God, change your church today. Break our hearts for the lost. Send us out of here remembering that this is about lost people who don't know Jesus. Did you give us a heart for that?